This is the Final Whistle podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team. Well, welcome to Dragonheart. I am joined by the usual suspects, Mark and Bill. Um, we've got quite a lot to talk about this week. But first, how are you both? Usual suspects. Nothing was proven. I need to say that straight away. Um, well, you know, what can I say? We are the Mount Rushmore of Wrexham podcasting. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. What about you, Bill? How are you? Um, at the time of recording, this is just before the Wales game, so I'm currently really nervous. Uh but what was the last see. thing you said before we started recording? Don't mention the Don't Wales game. Don't talk about the Wales game. Make people think it's, it's live. The time, I said at the time of recording, Mark. Who people into <laughs> thinking it's live? First thing he says, at the time of recording. Shocking, isn't it? <laughs> well, um, that's spoiler alert. We won't be talking about the Wales game today, but we will be talking about the Bromley match. We'll be talking about the Halifax match. We'll be talking about our new signing. We'll be looking ahead at the Dover match. And another Mythbusters ma- uh, section with Mark. So, let's get on with it. This is Dragonheart. Are we talking about Gareth Bale's hat-trick on Wednesday, Thursday night? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, oh, let's hope so. Then. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is even wrong with you, Long? I'm Aaron Hayden, and this is Dragonheart. Well, Bromley, the first game we got to talk about, fortunately, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, no matter how you, which way you look at it, it was a, a tough game on the road with uh, lots of different factors, I think, on, on the pitch and you know the environment the pitch was, I'd like to talk about. Yeah, a strange game, wasn't it, Mark? Yeah, it's strange in a way to know how I feel about it because... In isolation, I think that's a really good point. I actually felt that we draw that match anyway. You know, beforehand, I, I, I reckon we uh, we could afford to draw that game. Should I say? I'm doing my my sort of predictions about what might or might not happen with Stockport. Um, so, I, I, and it was a difficult game. We didn't deal with the pitch well, which I think we should talk about later on. Perhaps Bromley, very difficult side to play against. They got their tactics right. So, in that sense, really, really, really good points, I think, even though I wouldn't say the performance was great, but it's difficult to perform against a team that are, are setting themselves out to, to stop you from performing. Um, the negative side, of course, is that we, we are in a situation where we need to keep winning. And like I said, I, I think we can afford to drop those points. We can't afford to drop many more, I don't think. For me, the good news, I don't think we will drop many more, to be frank. But I, I don't know, Bill, it, it wasn't pretty on the eye, was it? No, it wasn't, to be honest. And uh, I, I think in isolation, uh, you know, you take that out of the context of the season, you'd be you'd be disappointed in a way with the performance. But I think the conditions were difficult. Um, that pitch doesn't suit anybody but Bromley, does it? And uh, not not to say that they're not a good football inside, but clearly um, they benefit from having that advantage at every home game, playing against teams that aren't used to what's going on there. Um no, I'm struggling to find something to say about it. Really, I think we we we, uh, we didn't really do much. They didn't really do much. Game stagnated, nil nil. Uh, you're not going to be looking back at that. Let's say if we don't go up and thinking, oh, that was a real opportunity for points because that was a fair result, really, wasn't it? 
yeah, uh, I agree. And I think um, Bromley aren't given enough credit, really. I think they're actually a pretty decent side. I think, you know, they've got some notable players. They've got Michael Cheek, who's, you know, arguably one of the best strikers in the league. They've they've got that Ali Alhamadi, is it? The what the other striker who's on loan from Wickham, who I thought had a really good game, was probably given Hayden one of his hardest games this season, I'd argue. And they got some other good defenders like Chris Bush and Luke Colson, who were, you know, a, a good players. Um, I think they should be a side that should be pushing for the playoffs towards the end of the season, to be fair. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't think the point away from home with all the factors of the game, it, it's actually, I think, a, a pretty decent point, I'd say, Mark. Yeah, I mean, they're 10th, <clears throat> but they have games in hand on the teams above them. And I know they didn't come into our game in the best of form, but they had come off a very tough run of games. They've got a very nice-looking run of games coming now. I fully expect them to be in the playoffs at the end of the season, and I think they will be in a couple of weeks' time. Um, they are decent, a decent size, but the thing is, the key thing is their long ball style, and I, I can't help but look back to the Boreham Wood game and just think, well, that was a game where, you know, again, like I said last week, the battle of styles, who can impose their style of play on the other? Bromley imposed themselves on us more than Boreham Wood did, and as a result, made us look a bit average. Our passing wasn't good enough, and, you know, okay, that's something we got to look at ourselves that we weren't able to do what we did against Boreham Wood, but probably were very good at putting pressure on us. They were very good. You know, pressing is not just chasing the ball around all the time. It's picking your moments and knowing when to put pressure on. Bromley had really worked us out a bit. They knew when to put the, to put the ball under. They knew what the triggers were. And as a result, we, was, we found ourselves thrashing the ball up the pitch a lot more than you normally would see. Um, it looked bad, but it was being caused by Bromley being able to to organise themselves so well against us. And the fact of the matter is, we did actually, for the middle of the first half, I thought, play well and impose ourselves on them. And that, in that period, we maybe should have scored. But we didn't. And the second half was hard work, at least as uh, Paul Mullins said, was it? Um, we would have probably lost there at the start of the season in a game like that, but we've toughened up in those sort of situations. We handle them a lot better. Yeah, yeah, we, we've really matured as the season's gone on, haven't we, as a team? I think I think we would have lost our heads at some of the earliest parts of the season, because, you know, all the pressure and what have you. And, you know, for me, one of the bigger talking points of the game is the 3G pitch. And I think the Wrexham players really, really struggled to get a grasp on the game, didn't they? Because the ball was travelling ever so weird. And watching it, the, the, you know, the grass looked glossy. I don't like 3G p- pitches personally, but I think... A lot of the players, you know, Aaron Hayden, who's usually very good at, you know, the final ball, or Avi, he's very good at passing. He just couldn't quite get the right passes. And a lot of the players couldn't get the right the, the right pass. Uh, that It was bouncing strange. Uh, what's your opinion on 3G pitches, Bill? Um, I, I, I think I'm a bit conflicted. Um, they allow teams like Bromley to fulfil their fixtures uh, week in, week out. They allow teams that are at a lower level an ability to make money through, you know, the soccer schools and five-a-side, seven-a-side, whatever, they're able to rent their pitches out. And it's they're a good thing to a degree, but it also adds a, a layer of, of um, 
unevenness about the division, knowing that you've got to go to two or three sides to play on 3G pitches where they play every week. And you do kind of get these freak results. I think it's unavoidable, really, in in the, the National League. You know, the money's not there for some teams to not have a 3G pitch. But in an ideal world, no one at our level would have one, would they really? What, what do you think, Mark? I, you know, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? I'm really conflicted about them as well because I, I think that artificial pitches are, are should be great. The theory to me is that you know, they should be the perfect playing surface. Surely that's what you're aspiring to. And I've always felt a little sceptical when players uh, are saying we don't like playing on these sort of pitches. I feel sometimes like it's an excuse made before the game to excuse poor performances. Having said that, it did look bad on Saturday. So, you know, I, I, I'm not saying as about our current squad. I mean, I would argue that usually, I mean, you bring players in from academies, they're being brought up on 4G pitches. We got the 4G pitch at Colliers. Uh, I, you know, so I'd have thought it shouldn't be a problem. The, the old plastic pitches, as you used to call them, they were awful. But I don't know whether Bromley have prepared it in a certain way because there is still preparation to be done on a 4G pitch. Uh, it didn't play nicely, did it? Whether it's just that they're not made for long ball football. So they're just pounding high long balls and it's bouncing maybe more erratically or higher than you'd expect them to. I don't know, but it didn't play well, that pitch at all, I didn't think. And, and it, it was a bit of an alien thing for our players to get used to. And of course, it fed in to one of the old myths about us not liking plastic pitcher of artificial pitches, which I'm afraid is true. I have the stats if you want me to go through them sometime. Go on, let, let's go. Let, let's hear the stats. Um, <clears throat> well, our 14th game on an artificial pitch was at Harrogate in 2020. That was the first one we won. That's your, that's your headline stat. I would argue. Um, so we won on the 20th attempt. I mean, okay, I haven't crunched the numbers to see you know how many games do you win away from home over the course of our history. But um, I mean, it started, we played a couple of games on the old bad plasticky pitches at QPR and Preston, and they were bad, you know, they were just like a slab of slightly there's a concrete with a slight bit of give in it, they were awful, and we lost QPR. And so back when we drew at QPR and we lost at Preston 1-0. And then since then, you know, it's really been in the national in the National League that we played our games on artificial pitches mostly, because National Football League won't allow them. But um I was remember going to Maidstone. So that's what, six years ago. And we drew two all. I mean, there must have been something wrong with that pitch because Callum Powell scored twice. But um, <laughs> as well as that, I remember Curtis Tilt was terrible. And he gave them the equaliser with about 13 minutes left and allowed them to draw the game. Just a back pass, he massively underhit. And he was he was he was playing the pitch like it had cobras in it. He looked terrified every time the ball came near him. And it was like it was like someone playing on a, a, a really bad turning wicket in Sydney against Shane Warne. He just don't know where the ball's gonna go next. You're terrified of it. So I do think sometimes people put it into their heads. But yeah, we'd lost what two, one, two, three, four, five, six out of the thirteen that we played before we finally won a Harrogate. Drew the last, obviously. Uh, but yeah, okay, I have to admit, I like I like myth busting, but I think the whole thing about us underperforming on artificial pitches, sadly, 
It's true. We do. Yeah, but sort of. I don't. I think if a couple of teams have three G artificial pitches, I think the integrity of the game throughout the whole season, I would sound silly, isn't quite there because it is quite clearly a different surface. I think. I think when you get to this level, I think it all should be grass. Uh, I, I, I know maybe that's me being old school, but uh, I don't quite understand how how they can get away with it. Really, I suppose from a financial standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it's a lot cheaper to, as you said, Mark. They just rake, don't they? Rake the three G yeah. pitches, yeah. get rid of the dirt and what have you. But yeah, I've been on a couple myself. I've actually rolled my ankle playing football on a three G pitch. I don't like the way they feel. I don't like the way the ball travels personally. And it just feels like you're playing on carpet. It's it's really, yeah, I I personally don't like it. But that's enough talking about the 3G pitches. Well, I, 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 will, I will say, though, I mean, I, I don't agree with you about the integrity of the competition. But before I go any further, I should say clearly the Football League do agree with you about the integrity yeah. of the competition. You're not allowed to play on them in the Football League. You're not allowed to play on them. In the Premier League, um, I mean, I, my counter argument though really would be, you know, when, when you get the obvious example for me was Braintree. And Braintree had that dreadful, dreadful pitch, and they had to keep ga- having games called off hand over fist. And when you played on it, it was a mud patch. Um, I would argue those are much more alien conditions than than an artificial pitch myself. Uh, and also, I would I would argue you, you could suggest. If you want to game the system, maybe an artificial pitch is not the best thing for you. You know, if you want to um, be an, I know this is ironic as I'm talking about Bromley here, but if you want to be a long ball team who want to stop the other side from playing, there are things you can do to a grass pitch to make it really difficult to play on, but the game won't get called off. Whereas on a 4G pitch, it should theoretically be easier. I the the, the classic example I remember was the season we got promoted with Andy Morrell scoring all those goals, 2002-2003. And we went to Lincoln. Oh, and that was Lincoln, ultimate long ball Lincoln. Uh, they were, oh, they were the most horrible team in the world. And they, they had no footballers that I recall. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. They, they had no interest <laughs> in passing the ball to teammates. It was rugby. It was purely kick the ball into a nice area of the pitch and get bodies around it. It really was loot and lumpers, were they? Oh, say again. The loot and lumpers. Oh, nice. <laughs> I mean, it was horrible. And all they were doing, they were kicking for possession for for position. So they'd get the ball in midfield, they'd have options, but they'd just smash it out for a throw in as near our corner flag as possible. Or halfway up our pitch and then throw it towards the corner flag, fight for it, elbows up get a thrown by the corner flag over in a corner. That was all they were trying to do. They, they had no interest in, in passing the ball at all. And then they can launch set pieces into the box. And, uh, well, uh, that was also famously, they had the air raid siren at the ground. So every time they had a corner, they they, they put on the air raid siren. I kind of quite like that anyway. In a way, I want us to do that. But so just to terrify the other side a bit more, they had a centre-back whose name escapes me, who was about six foot eight. Um, and he wasn't like a Dennis Lawrence gangly six foot eight. He just looked like they'd sort of welded two big lads together. And he was he sort of lolloped <laughs> forwards like a giraffe. He just lolloped up the pitch for a sort of set piece. 
Um, and with the, with the air raid siren going, it really was, you know, you think you're in some sort of dystopian future. Um, but but the thing is, their pitch had barely any grass on it. You go and have a look back at the footage of that game. It, it was a beach. It was unbelievable. There was barely any grass on it. He couldn't pass it. It wouldn't. It, it would move as regularly as rugby ball. You know, he didn't know where the hell it was going. Gloriously, Andy Morrell got a late equaliser. We drew there, but it was one of those. Um, so I, I don't know. I'd argue that I know what you mean about artificial pitches, but. You can do bad things with grass pitches and still get the games played. And I don't know. Am I naive? Maybe I'm just naive thinking that. I think as well, when we talk about integrity, some teams use the half grass, half plastic mix. Some teams have under soil heating, maybe not at our level, but there are there are different types of grass. And, you know, it's the old classic of water in one half of the pitch. No, there's a lot of things you can do regardless with grass and soil isn't there that, that could uh, have a bit of gamesmanship involved so maybe having a plastic pitch if it's not too much of a difference isn't a huge thing to the integrity although in an ideal world you would just have everyone on grass I think personally oh yeah yeah I, I, am I right in, I think in saying that essentially in the Premier League there's not really and in a way there's no such thing as a grass pitch they're all grass synthetic mixes all the big teams are but it's it's mostly grass but in order to make the pitches more sort of resistant to weather they sort of it's it's a, it's a, a bit like an elton john hair plug situation um <laughs> where, they, where they, i'm still balding where you, you, you like you get the most of it is grass but it's 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 tied together with a knot of the artificial stuff which which anchors it into the ground and that apparently makes it better so it doesn't get you don't get rained off or anything like that oh seems to be you lived your life like a grass blade in the turf no that's not working (laughs) you can't really compare (laughs) top level football to any other level football really because the amount of money that's going into like you know Leicester's groundsman's apparently the best groundsman in the world, he's won loads of competitions and what have you. You do, you do like the crazy patterns on the pitch and what that you can't do it anymore. But you can't compare the, the top level football. Like Spurs can literally put their stadium underneath the floor, can't they? And maintain it with, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> it's just it's just a completely different level, isn't it, compared to Bromley? So I can understand why Bromley do it for the cost saving like I imagine but yeah I think at National League level it should all be grass and that's enough to talk about grass now hang on a second all this about Uh, Tottenham putting their pitch below the surface well aren't we going to build our Paul Ratut stadium stand at the the end and and have have, have a ground that turns into an arena no we're not remember that the stadium arena how we were supposed to, Paul Ratute saying we were supposed to have a, a, a new stand that was that, uh, where the roof would drop yeah. down and we would yeah. turn it into an arena. Wonder what happened with yeah, that. Yeah, I do, I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. God, that was, <laughs> we're so far away from those times now, aren't we? Thank goodness. Yeah. I think we should let Che move on now, shouldn't we? Yes. <laughs> Get on with his life. No more grass <laughs> or stadium speak for now. Um, but, yeah, it was a it was a tough tough game. It's a hard watch at times. I do feel for a lot of those travelling fans because not much went on, and we didn't really create much, did we, Mark? I think we were lacking that little bit of magic to win the game. 
It was just, like I said before, it was difficult, wasn't it? Bromley had the closing us down really efficiently. We were hitting hopeful long balls forwards. Our midfield were dropping off to deal with the long balls coming at us. And as a result, you know, the strikers were a bit isolated, weren't they, really? There were times when uh, Palmer went on quite good driving runs and he'd gone beyond everybody. There was no support. There were times when I thought Palmer won a lot of headers, but, you know, if Mullen wasn't able to latch onto it, there's no one else able to get near to him. So we just weren't able to get those patterns of play going. We like, you know, getting the ball down, getting the wide centre-back and the wide wing-back up there and, you know, giving options on the sides and overloads. We like being able to pass it through midfield to the other side, working it across the pitch to try and open the teams up. We weren't really able to do that because Bromley, I thought, yeah, I mean, to be fair to them, I know I've got a tone of disparagement about them, the way I'm talking about their long ball tactics. I don't mean to really. They did really well. And they were maybe one of the best teams against us without the ball this season. I thought they did really well. They closed us down well. They made life incredibly difficult for us. It made me think, was it you, Bill, I was saying? It's always you, Che. I think it's you, actually, Che. Uh, <clears throat> makes me think, maybe it's a good job they had that Trotter sent off early against us at the race course. Because against 10 of them, it felt like an easy game. But if they'd been able to play like that against us with 11, they might have been exactly the sort of team that were frustrating us at the race course at that point in the season. So, I don't know. I, I, for me, hats off to Bromley for making it difficult. And we weren't able to match that. So, yeah. We fell below our standards, but you, you, it takes two teams to play a game, and they did. They had a plan which they executed brilliantly. I thought. Yeah, I think they're a team I'd like to. If they do get into the playoffs, I'd like to avoid. To be fair, through their style of football, because they mm. could drag into deep waters. You know, they got cheek up front, who's an excellent striker, and you know they could maybe nick a penalty shootout off you. You know, what I mean, they're, yeah. they're 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 not the prettiest of sides to play against. Yeah, but hats off to them. They, they executed a game plan and it was a really tough game. They, you know, with the, the wind underneath our wings at the moment, we were beating everyone for them to come and keep us off and keep it nil-nil. Yeah, definitely. Fair play to them. There's a couple more talking points that game. Um, thankfully, Aaron Hayden played against Halifax. We did go off injured. And uh, it was a nice little cameo by Tyler French, wasn't it, Bill? I think he had an excellent game. Yeah, did well when he came on. Uh, just shows the quality that we've got on the pitch, that someone of his quality is on the bench. Um, hopefully, uh, in, a, in a weird way, hopefully we don't have to see a lot of him because it means that, that our back three are uh, carrying on playing. Uh, you know, Claire, Claire with Tozer and Hayden have been absolutely superb. We'll get on to their performance against Halifax, you know, but French, I, I'm absolutely not worried at all if he has to come and play because he's a fantastic footballer and, uh, you do feel sorry for him that he's got those three ahead of him, but he's he's a cracking player. And did, you, you're always w- worried, aren't you, a little bit when someone's um, gone off injured? Because he, he even if French is waiting for an opportunity and he wants to play, he doesn't want to see his teammate get injured at that expense for him to come on. And it's always a, a, a worry that the mentality when they come on is going to be, uh, whether they're focused or not, not saying any of our players particularly have suffered from that, but even at the top level, you know, an injury or something happens that not everybody always comes on and plays well, but he did a great job. Uh, shame about Lainton though, wasn't it? I think that's that's a, that's a real blow, isn't it, Mark? It is. I'll go back to French for a second though. I mean, yeah. another reason why it could be difficult for him to, to settle in is because he hasn't played for a long time. You know, he's really yeah. not, he's been sitting on the bench 
uh, or not playing at all for ages. And so credit to him. And I think it's a good measure of how well he did was that, as Che said, Al Hamadi caught Che's eye in the way that he played up front with Cheek. He was pulling over to the left. And the way I looked at it for the first half hour, Aaron Hayden was Aaron Hayden. He looked great. But he'd been ill. And after about half an hour, it looked like it just suddenly kicked in. And he just suddenly fell off the cliff a bit. And for the last 15 minutes and a half, Al Hamadi was really causing Hayden trouble, like you don't normally see, because obviously Hayden was off colour. And um, the moments French was on, Al Hamadi, I thought, disappeared out of the game. I thought French uh, had him in his pocket, absolutely no problem. And that was really good to see that a player who's not playing for so long has come in halfway through a tough game against a player who's really feeling confident and going well. He just, he just shut him down completely. I thought oh, it was absolutely fabulous. But yeah, Che, Leanton, ouch. Yeah, first again, I'd like to say Tyler French, fair play to him. He's not put much wrong in this season. And um, I think he'll feel really unfortunate that, you know, he's got three of the best centre-backs in the league ahead of him. Mm. But as Bill said, if, if they get injured, Tyler French will slip in there and he'll be in just as good quality as anyone else. Uh, yeah, Rob Lainton, an absolute massive blow. And as soon as he went down, I had a strong feeling that it was going to be serious because he was down for a while, was the bill. Yeah, there's, there's, always, a, there's a, always a bit of a tell, isn't there, with footballers, the way they go down, if they're, if they're genuinely hurt or if they're not. Uh, he seemed to be sort of shaking his, 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 his wrist and calling over to the, the physio straight away. There was no rolling around, no kicking his feet on the floor with his face down or anything. He was genuinely really hurt. And I, I don't know, he's, he's been really unfortunate with injuries. And, and what, what a blow for him psychologically as well for it to happen at Bromley again. I mean, that's just some rotten luck, isn't it? You know, it's not even it's not even the kind of injury that might have been caused by the 3G pitch. That was just that's just a sort of freak accident that that's happened again. And, you know, we talked about it, Mark, the other day that possibly, I, I say it's a freak injury, like the injury itself is freak, but... Should the player have had have been reprimanded for for going in like that? You know, he's ended up causing him harm. It's a it's an injury that's, you know, you see red cards for challenges that don't cause anything. And then I'm not saying it should have been a red card, but the player's gone in. He's injured. He's ended late in the season. What's the point in having a yellow and red card system if a player who's actually injured and then has to go off substituted, it is the you know the player who's gone in isn't punished for it. It doesn't make any. Doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. You see Tyro Mings uh, at the weekend playing for Villa against Arsenal, an absolutely inch perfect tackle. That uh, you know, like that that clip was doing the rounds on YouTube. He gets the ball. Yes, as a trailing foot. He gets a yellow card for it. Someone breaks someone else's wrist. Nothing. Nothing. Ah, oh, it's, it's bonkers. I don't. I just don't get it at all. What do you I, think, I, Mark? I was saying the same thing in the commentary. Um, I, I I was saying in the commentary, I thought maybe that's a red, if I'm honest with you, in that, <clears throat> I mean, for me, and I'm, I don't totally welcome this, but I think the rules have fundamentally changed in that I don't think we really are looking at how a player goes in anymore. We're looking more at the consequence. So, all right, to take Mings, for example, and I agree, I'm a perfectly clean tackle, lovely Lovely piece of play by Mengs, I thought. Um, his, his trailing leg has to go somewhere. Once he's won the ball, his, his legs can't just dissolve until the challenge is over. <laughs> they have to be somewhere. He's not intentionally followed through with them. But the rules now seem to be more interpreted as 
if you have made contact with the person, this is NFL, as long as it's fairly firm contact. Um, you look at the wording of the rules now. Yellow card is reckless and red card is endangering. Well, is it reckless to go in on the keeper? Um, it's kind of a 50-50. I totally understand why I'll have he went in. I'm not trying to say for a second that he was trying to hurt Lainton at all. But the way the game's refereed, the way the game's the rules are laid out now, certainly reckless if you're going to go in and hurt somebody, by definition. If you put him out for the season, then, you know, if you endanger another player, you're sent off. Well, we can tick that box, can't we? So, yeah, I... I I'm not saying I necessarily agree with the way the rules have changed. And I think players sometimes get punished for being completely innocent, like Mings was. But by the letter of the law, I think Alhamdi's quite lucky to stay on the bench. However, if if it was Ollie Palmer doing it to their keeper, how would you feel if he would have got sent off? You probably would have been a bit... Of course I was. Cheesed yeah, off. It's- I'm biased. It's it's a conundrum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is a, it is a conundrum. I'm not saying the referees have got it easy because they clearly haven't. No, no. We 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 have been quick to bash referees sometimes on this pod, you know, and we're we're fairly we're fairly easy going compared to a lot of people. <laughs> They've got a tough job, and the laws are interpreted differently at the top level than they are here. But it does just seem a bit of a strange world when a Premier League game, when someone wins a clean tackle, gets a yellow, and and that kind of uh, season-ending injury isn't punished whatsoever. It doesn't really, it's almost like the idea of endangering someone is actually worse and genuinely endangering them and, and causing them injury. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I've got the rule here, law 12. A tackle or challenge that endangers the safety of an opponent or uses excessive force or brutality must be sanctioned as serious foul play. And that means that's called for, it's a red card. Well, because I, I genuinely wouldn't say that he's gone in with intent, but they've removed the idea of intent from the rules now. So did he endanger the safety of an opponent? Yeah, because Blainton broke a bone. Did he use excessive force? I, there are not many people that you can tickle and their wrist breaks. I would not say brutality. <laughs> that's going too far. But there's three possible definitions there. And by the definition, and that's what the referees have to go by, though... That's a red card. The thing is, no one even seemed to think about it. No one even seemed to consider it. It, 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 it's, it's a, it is a strange one because there was another incident early on the game that the Rex and pe- penalty shout as well of Reese Johnson. Yeah. I think in the Premier League, I think that would have been given as a penalty. Uh, <laughs> in my personal opinion. I think, you know, National League referee and an officiating, you can't be compared to Premier League because it is a different ball game. And I think... You know, if uh, that challenge that happened on Leighton was uh, David De Gea at Man United, it definitely would have been the red card. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it is a very, very strange one. Officiating, especially stink, at this level. It? Yeah. It'd yeah, be a stink exactly. if De Gea got challenged like that and put out with the season. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, I'll be to be frank, with that penalty, when I looked at it, and when I looked at the replay, I thought that's not a penalty. He's, he's, you know, Bush knows exactly what he's doing. He's coming across his man to take him out without playing the ball, but he's doing it in a way where a ref's not going to give a penalty. So that was how I saw it at first. When I then saw um, Bromley get a free kick on the halfway line for a similar challenge, which had a lot less contact and a lot less moving towards the ball, I thought, well, come on, ref, you can't have your cake and eat it. 
Because that, you know, you don't give them the box, I give them on the halfway line. And then, as you know, the, the more I look at it, actually, to be honest, the more I start seeing it more your way, Che. Uh, maybe, yeah, you, you can't really do that in the box. It, 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 there was intent. And when things are being scrutinized on VAR and slowed down, and they're looking at still photographs rather than the actual video, you get to a different sort of way of interpreting the game. And maybe that is a fair shot for a penalty. Yeah, I, I thought it was a penalty at the time. I rewatched it. I still think it's a penalty because if that was given outside the box, it would have been a free kick. So in my eyes, that's a penalty. That, that, yeah. It's the same thing, isn't it? But referees obviously don't see it the same way. But yeah, that 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 was the Bromley game. That was a it was a tough, hard away game against a good side. Who I think we'll be in around the playoffs towards the end of the season. Um, so next, we're going to be talking about that Halifax game. From the heart of your community, this is Callon FM. Well, Halifax, Tuesday night. Going into it, I was a bit anxious as we had a really tough game against Bromley and I, I was wondering where the players' heads are at. But, wow, they really did bounce back, didn't they, Bill? Yeah, great performance. Um, I think... It was very similar to the Boreham Wood game in that we big team them as I as I that's my coining my new phrase. You know, it's there's not there's not many teams. I think Stockport, Chesterfield, you know, they they're used to big crowds, but they to come here and have eight thousand fans singing, uh, eight, you know, eight thousand what was it? What, how many away fans is it? About eight thousand, about three hundred was it? So it was about eight thousand four hundred ish Wrexham, two hundred right? So it was eight thousand five hundred ish Wrexham fans singing the place down. You know, I think at times it was weird that the, the atmosphere went through peaks and troughs. Like it was a bit, there was times where it was really quite quiet. But when it when it went, uh, you know, when the atmosphere started, it erupted. And it was it was one of the loudest I've heard the race courses in isolation in, in pockets. And, you know, fair play to the players. They, they're used to it. Um, it makes me less worried about if we have to go to Wembley because that atmosphere is clearly not going to face, you know, the occasion might, but the atmosphere is not going to face them, which... Is always a worry whenever you go, go into those situations. And um, I'm speaking to uh, an ex-colleague of mine, Andy, and he was saying about how he hasn't really come to the Wrexham games much, but he goes to a lot of football a- around the country. Uh, and he, w- he was just saying that there's almost a little bit of an imposter syndrome when teams get into the playoffs or they get a bit higher up and they're used to being in the National League North or South, but they've had a bit of a run and then managing to get into this division. But actually, they come to those kind of occasions, and they're like, "Oh, are we supposed to be here? Is this is this a situation that we're used to?" They can't quite get their heads around it. And I think we really, even though Halifax have got a big ground, they're a good old solid club. You know, they they came and looked phased a lot, like Boreham Wood did. Uh, I don't know what how it trans. You know, I ask, seem to ask you this every week, but how did that translate uh, from the commentary box, Mark? I mean, like the atmosphere. But the answer to my well, atmosphere just, is yeah, yeah. listen to the state of my voice. <laughs> my, <laughs> my reply is always, well, those headphones are supposed to cut noise out, but I got a sore throat after every game now because the crowd noise is coming through. Oh, the atmosphere was outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. I mean, I love the fact that before the game, it was crackling as well. Um, <clears throat> we didn't drown the place in loud, unnecessary music. And that's good. Uh, I think that's how it should be in a football mm. match. If you've got a crowd in there who are looking forward to the game, let them create the atmosphere. And I thought the atmosphere was crackling beforehand. We, the players came out like a team 
who knew were inspired by what was going on at the start of the match. And it was brilliant. And when the Rex Rent stand sang the national anthem, that was something. That was very, very impressive, that, I thought. It's funny, somebody was talking to me at work after that about um, liking rugby for the idea of going and listening to the anthem. And I was saying, well, all right, fair enough. Uh, but if you'd been at the Wrexham game on Tuesday, you would have experienced something because that was that was absolutely marvellous. And and also, you're right, I, I felt Halifax really cracked and crumbled. And if I'm honest with you, that was my... Um, that was sort of my my role in commentating on Tuesday to a great extent. I felt was was trying to to mediate because Mark Fenner was was commentating and he was quite rightly saying Halifax look awful, and Neil Williams also commentating was rightly jumping in every time to say yeah because we're making them look awful, and I was I was very conscious. I wanted to emphasise the fact that in a nutshell they got that game perfectly there. Halifax, if you look at that in, in isolation, you think Halifax are a relegation team. And I don't mean because they let goals in and conceded chances. Their passing was embarrassing. I mean, they were a team that looked to pass out from the back. They were a team that feel they're able to control possession. Their, their passing was horrific because we did what Bromley did. We, we pressed them so intelligently, so aggressively, and kept it going that it felt to me that, firstly, Halifax kept making mistakes and losing the ball in their own half because we were forcing them to. But it also got to the point where, even when they didn't have pressure on them, they were just panicking because if they felt, something's going to come in a second, James Jones must be near me, and they were just panicking when there was no pressure on them and giving the ball away. Some of their passing was, you know, you'd be embarrassed if you were five more leagues lower down. But these are good players. I'm not trying to mock Halifax. It just showed how superb we were, because as, as Neil kept repeating in the commentary, they look awful because we are so good. We just wouldn't let them play. It was absolutely fantastic, I thought. It, yeah, I think the 12th man thing was a real, has been a real thing in our last two Tuesday games. Uh, yeah, I think it really is making that big, as Bill says, that big team difference where it, ju- it does feel like a huge, big occasion going to watch Wrexham. And I think their manager quoted was saying that, that Wrexham are a League One side, you know, with League One players, with a League One fan base. It certainly felt like that being from the stands as I was doing the data. But I think they struggled to get into the game because six minutes in, they conceded the penalty, didn't they, Mark? And uh, that really set off the tone for the whole night, didn't it? Yeah, a definite penalty, and we had a little bit of a debate on whether it should be a red or a yellow card, but it is right, it's a yellow, not a red. The reason Lennon got sent off for handball is because he's on the line, so if his hand's not there, it definitely goes in. Um, when he when Warren handles it, there's a goalkeeper behind him who may well have saved the shot, and a defender as well, lurking around, they could have got a block in, so it's yellow. Mullen, well, I mean, it worries me a bit. Should we build a cop stand? Because if, if Mullen... It's penalties that hard. One day he's going to rip the net off and it's going to do structural damage to the building behind it. It's playing with now. It was terrible, wasn't it? <laughs> we, could have had, we could have done with them six or seven years ago just to smash the bullet those stupid and fats where they were getting built. <laughs> yeah. He, he's, he's, no, he's not as much of a danger to the cop as Maheta Malango, is he? <laughs> that man was a, was a massive danger to the cop. <laughs> 
true, but it was it was uh, by the time it made contact, it was gently floating, wasn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, true. <laughs> we just were so dominant, weren't we, from the very very start? I, I like Shay. You're right to mention Pete Wilde's comments about us being a League One club. I think Wild. I think he's done very well as a manager, by the way, because. You know I'm going to say something snidey sounding now when I'm starting off with a comment, a compliment. Um, I think he's a good manager. I'm not trying to mock him, but um, I think he fancies himself as a bit of a, a mind games sort of character. I've seen him a few times before and after games trying to make comments. And I think he was trying to make his team feel there's no pressure here and put pressure on us by saying we're a League One team. We've got all League One players. We get League One crowds. Doopy doopy doo. The trouble is, um, he was proven right. And this is why I was saying to you actually, Bill, yesterday, wasn't I? This is why I feel confident yeah. about Wrexham this season, because there's a genuine logic about how we've improved, how we've <clears throat> we've hampered by the transfer windows. We've had to accumulate players, a team bit by bit. But in January, he got the final pieces, they all made sense. And now you can see what Parkinson was trying to do all season. It wasn't a question of a team not being able to gel. It was a question of a team not being completed yet. And now it is completed. And I'm, the reason I feel optimistic is that, yeah, we're going to have to do a sort of Liverpool-Man City-style rhythm of wins to challenge Stockport for the title. But I think we will, because actually I think we Pete Wilds might have been saying it to try and lessen pressure on his team and put it onto us. But I think that we are a League One team. That's exactly true. And that's why we're winning hand over fist. We're not a team who's hit a good one of form. We're a League One team playing two leagues lower than it should be. And that's why we're winning time and time again. And, and that's why I feel confident that we can just maintain it. I think we can do that. You know, City and Liverpool are world elite level in the Premier League. So even though it's a fantastic league, they still keep winning because they're just that level above. That's true of us in Stockport, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, and I think oh, we'll go on. As we mentioned it now, we'll go on to the title armature now because oh yeah, you, you know, <laughs> you know. As I said again, it, Stockport looked like they were going to slip on Saturday. They come back one four two. They're a very good side as well, aren't they? And I think at this point of the season now, it's just whether they're going to slip up. So the title armature, Bill. Any for any changes since last week? Um, no, was it six but, last week? but it was six last week. It's, it's, it's sort of hovering between six and seven. And the re I was going to go for seven, but the reason I've kind of changed my mind is Stockport have made two signings today and they could still yet make more with the way the transfer window goes. And obviously, Hey, look, that, that could be negative. It could end up being a detriment to them bringing two players in that might upset the balance. But, I mean, when you can bring players in at this time of the season, uh, talking about integrity is a competition. We've gone over it before, so we don't have to go over it again. But it's absolutely mental that we'll come on to the league camp signing in a minute, but we're having to dig around for free agents and they're allowed to sign championship players. But am I right in thinking, thinking one of their players is from a championship team, even if they are from the, the on the fringes? Or I'm, I, I, I haven't quite checked who they was they signed, but there's two big signings. Um, one was from Morecambe, who've just gone up to League One. You know, it's 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 th- that that could be the push they need to get that over the edge of the the season now. But I think if there were there are a team that are going to take them over, it will be us. We just got to rely on them slipping. Yeah, 
and that's how it is, Matt. I, I still don't think we're going to win the league. Um, we're, you know, 11 points behind the game in hand, yeah. But I, I can't see them losing, really. And I, again, I'll say it again. I know it's a bit miserable. They would have won the league before we play them the set, last game, this home, last home game this season. I, I still think that. And Stockport aren't showing any stopping. You know, they, they can they can go 2 0 down at half time to Wheelston, who are a solid side, and then end up winning 4 uh, 2. Yeah. And they've, they've got some easy games coming up. And then they do have a tough run, but I just think they have the quality to keep on winning. But I think we have the quality to keep on winning and win the playoffs. So, yeah. Uh, now, but I, Mark looks like he's got a look on his face. He's got a point to make. And after speaking to him yesterday, I think I know what's coming. But really quickly, I don't think we can be scared of anyone in the playoff uh, uh, positions. Now, playoffs are a lottery. Uh, there's always a good chance that you just don't show up on the night or something happens, an injury happens between now and then. But in terms of actually being scared of any of those teams, we've got nobody to fear. We've beat... Uh, we've you know we've done well against all of those teams in the, all the teams in the top ten apart from Stockport. You know Ch- Chesterfield we took four points off them. Bromley I know they're not in the playoffs but we took four points off them. Boreham Wood we've taken three points off them and beaten them in the cup. Halifax we've taken six points off. Who's going to stop us other than Stockport? Who's going to stop us? Sorry, Mark, I, I can see you're itching to, to well, get. Well, let, let's get Mark's positivity. What yeah. do you think, Mark? Um, well, we're going to win the league for starters. Um, <laughs> Jay, I, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to take that half full glass of yours because you don't deserve it. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, I understand what you're saying by, oh, you know, they came back from two down against Wheelston. I agree that it shows spirit. For me, I'm excited because they're wobbling earlier than I expected them to. They've got. I thought they'd beat Wilson comfortably at home. They went 2-0 down at home to Wilson. Fair enough, they responded. But they went 2-0 down at home to Wilson. Is that an, an, an invincible team? I don't think so. All right, they came back. Fair enough. But I didn't think they'd even show signs of wobbling until there were five games left. And now I'm looking at their fixtures before that tough five and looking at games that I thought they'd automatically win and thinking, oh, well, if they're in a wobbly mood... Maybe those games are a bit tougher for them than, than I thought they were. So actually, I feel more optimistic, if anything, than, than I did before then, even though they came back. I know that psychologically it felt bad that we dropped points and then they they came back and won. I, I know that, but let's strip the emotion off it and, and look at it sort of in a, in a more cold light of day. Their last, their running... It's horrific. Their last game is Halifax. We know they're decent unless they play us. Their last but one game is at our place. <laughs> they're la- they're before then, they're away to Chesterfield. They're playing their three title contenders as their last three games. And then before then, although I admit that maybe this isn't as difficult game as it looked a couple of weeks ago, they play Boreham Wood. Um, but then I said Boreham Wood was a game we dropped points in. Now I don't see it that way. So before then, they're away to Yeovil, which they should win. But it's not an easy game if you're wobbling a little bit. Solly Hull, promotion oh. contenders. Grimsby away, promotion contenders. These South are games Bend. I thought they'd win. But now I'm South not so Bend's sure. a tough game too. South, South Bend have been in, re- yeah, been in yeah, reasonable South- form as second side this season. Yeah. I-, I agree. But, you know, look at their form. Their form's excellent at the moment, Mark. They're winning all the time. Yeah. 
So um, are they? Are, does that mean they're like us? They're too good, which is quite possible. I accept. Yeah. Or does that mean they've had a freakish run of form and it's going to stop soon? I think it means they're too good, personally. I think it means they're too good. It's gone under the radar how much they've spent because we've got the Hollywood glitz and glamour. And I I say this sort of ready to be picked apart by some kind of Stockport County Twitter account or podcast and have this all ripped and replayed for us at some point. But I I think, you know, it is hugely underestimated how much money that they've spent. Really, really underestimated. And they don't get anywhere near the... um, uh, the stick that we do for for buying the league. Now, if there's a team that that uh, deserve to go up in terms of stature, other than us, I think they're they're the next best yeah. thing. So I'd have absolutely no qualms about them going up. They're a good club. I love going to Stockport. It's a great away trip. Fans are always really friendly, even even when we have been sort of rival rivals with them for for promotion this year. But uh, you know, let's let's not let's not beat around the bush. They've spent just as much, if not more, than us, haven't they? So. They des- they deserve if they do go up they deserve it because this run has been incredible. Yeah, and we can get over carried away with ourselves, you know. Um, who we got after Dover? I'm overlooking Dover, but Stockport. Yeah, the trophy. yeah, FA, tro- FA Trophy. Let's forget about that. Yeah, Barnet Eastley. Yeah, we, <laughs> Barnet, we should be beating them, Eastley. and we do have Solihull mm. ourselves to play. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not so confident we're going to win the league. I'm not. I honestly think that we're not going to win the league, but we'll go up as playoff. Play. We'll go up in the playoffs. Anyway, <laughs> that's the titleometer <laughs> for this week. Um, anyway, we haven't talked about the Ollie Palmer goal yet, uh, which was a very satisfying goal in my opinion. Twenty eighth minutes in, for me, probably killed off the game. They looked really slumped after that. Lovely ball from James Jones. Riesel Johnson cuts in, finds a lovely through ball to Mullen, forces a decent save out the Halifax keeper. I felt a bit sorry for keeper as he, he, he it was a decent save, but he parried it straight into Ollie Palmer's feet. Yeah, uh, you want a goal from Mullen and Palmer, your two your two star strikers. It really is exciting stuff from them too, isn't it, Mark? Oh, absolutely. I mean, those two are, are, are terrific, aren't they, since they've been playing in tandem. And especially, I mean, since Mullen came back from his suspension, don't count the Notts County game because they both came on as a sub, but since he came back from his suspension, we've had five games. Mullen has scored five goals. Palmer has scored three. That's pretty tasty. I mean, and honestly, they are doing brilliantly. Palmer bullies defenders. He's terrifically strong. He brings people into play. Mullen is just a a force of nature, the way he's bounding around everywhere, trying everything. It's just so exciting to have, after years of having very few strikers who look like they're going to make something happen, suddenly to have these two together is fantastic. And as well, uh, you know, as you rightly said, credit to James Jones for the tidy pass that lets Hall Johnson have options. Credit to Hall Johnson um, and for his movement and pass, perfect pass to Mullen. But also credit to Parkinson's setup because that's how we're playing. Hayden, the five centre backs coming forwards, allows the wing, the full backs, wing backs, beg your pardon, to choose what channels they want to go down. So Hull Johnson can go down inside while Hayden runs outside and stretches at the fence and makes a bit of space. And well, we've known this since he's come to Wrexham. Hull Johnson's perfectly comfortable coming forward on his left foot as well. But yes, yeah, so that was a that was a lovely goal. I thought actually really nice, nice setup, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was lovely. I, I it was a really satisfying goal to watch. And then we dominated then, really. Second half, we had so many chances. Uh, there's one little thing I'd like to talk about is there was a, a slight change in throwing style by Ben Toes at one point. He did sort of like a low-driven throwing. I don't know if you, if you can remember that at one point. That was the one which, that Mullen tried to flick on, wasn't it? He yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I really liked that. Yeah. It, it's another string to his bow, Ben Toza, really. He's such a, an amazing asset, isn't he, to have. Those long throws are amazing. And and the last two games, we didn't mention it at Bromley. I think he, I thought he was man of the match against Bromley. And I think he, the back three in particular, but Ben Toza has been excellent this season. And I think because Hayden's so good, people don't talk about Ben Toza as much, do they, Bill? No, do, do you know what? I, I noticed something about the back three. Um, and obviously they're led by Toza. He's he's an absolutely he he's the captain without the armband, isn't he? He leads that that back five so impressively. Um, but I know it's just before kickoff. I don't usually get in early, but we got in a bit earlier for once this time. So this might have been something that's been happening every season. But um, Clareworth, Hayden, and Toza were in a triangle, really close to each other, and just passing one touch passes between the three of them. And they looked so comfortable on the ball together. I thought, that's a brilliant drill. You know, like if you want your centre backs to develop a bit of um, uh, an understanding of each other and, and close, how they close control and how they be able to pass the ball around, uh, there, there's there's almost like a weird uh, synergy between the three of them, isn't it? They're they're really in tune with each other and with the full backs as well. Um, and going back to the throw-ins, we took a lot of short throw-ins. McFadden and, and Riesel Johnson on either side trying to catch Halifax out, and we. I, Maybe I'm wrong, you know, like Matt, uh, Mark's a stat man, you know, he might be able to uh, sort of, I don't know whether he quite goes as deep as counting short throw-ins and long throw-ins, but yeah. there, was a lot, there was a lot of short, there was, I'm sure there was more short throw-ins than usual because you could see Halifax was setting themselves up for a long throw-in. They were getting compact in the box. So McFadden just took the ball, threw it, and we, we were unlucky not to score a couple of times from that sort of uh, range and opportunity. In fact, was, I can't remember, was the third goal... Off uh, from a maybe no, it wasn't directly from a throw in, but was it? No, no. It was their goal kick, wasn't it? remember they messed up their goal. Yeah. Kick. That was it, yeah. I knew it was yeah. something, yeah, yeah, of course. So it was a set piece of some kind, nothing goal kick off, but yeah, but you know, we, we... Oh, on. Oh, on. sorry, Jay, sorry, Bill, sorry, Bill, get you carry on, mate. uh, yeah, just just you know, we we. The, the back three uh, are the, the absolute foundation of this team. Uh, we have got good enough replacements as well. The fact that no one's even really mentioned Lennon uh, has been out for as long as he's been out. Uh, we've, uh, you know, it's very unfortunate for him, but Clareth has come in and is just, he just looks the real deal, doesn't he, Shay? Yeah, again, Clareth appreciation minute. He's just, he's just excellent. I think, I'm so glad that we have the money behind us now because I do. I really do think with his age and how good he is, there'd be League One teams, League Two teams looking at him and thinking, we'll get him because he is the real deal. He's great on the ball. He's such a young player. He doesn't seem bothered by the big occasions. He's neat and tidy on the ball. He's got great defensive awareness. His physicality is great. He's got everything, isn't he, Mark? Oh, he's, he's, he's terrific, isn't he? And the point that was made about uh, him and Bill, when you were saying about them popping the ball around, it made me think 
you know, a lot of people, and I count myself in amongst them, um, were a bit sceptical in the summer when the release, the, the team list was was made without a new manager being in place. Um, and, and the sort of suggestion was that maybe, you know, we're looking at a, a more modern approach using uh, systems of play. We know what type of manager we want to bring in and what qualities we want them to have. And that maybe using the data and looking beyond just the obvious things of is this bloke a good player? Uh, you know, we were looking for the specific types of, um, you know, of, of signings and specific types of players in different areas. And I can sort of see that now. And when you see things like that, how good they all three of them are on the ball, the fact they can bring it forward, Scarworth and Hayden and Lennon and create overlaps and overloads. The fact that Tozer can ping it like a quarterback. We were looking for people who were better on the ball than Kelleher and Vassell, although I really like both those players. But we were looking for a specific type of player and then because we were scouting these players before we put a manager in. And then we were looking for a specific type of manager who bought into that style of football. And you can see the you can see the value of it now, can't you? Where the, these players are able, the centre backs, not just to defend superbly, but to join in and and actually create and get into good advanced positions and trouble opponents. Another reason why a back three is not a defensive formation per se, because these lads are creating overloads and getting into the other side's box, aren't they? Yeah, I I love the overlap in centre backs. I really like that. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think the the formation only gets criticised when we're losing. No one's talking about it now, are they? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think we're playing some of the nicest football we've I've seen at the race course for some time. So, yeah, uh, things are all going really well. And we have we had the third goal that capped off the night with a James Jones forcing the the mistake from the goal kick. Mm. Lovely finish, and yeah, it was a. No, Halifax obviously scored at the at, at the closing minutes of the game. Lovely but, goal as well, wasn't it? Yeah, a lovely goal. I think half the media team didn't see it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was um, a great night at the office. And long may that continue. We got Dover on Saturday. Uh, it's a game we should be winning, isn't it, Mark? It certainly is. Dover relegated already. Their forms, the results are horrible. Um let me do my pessimistic bit. Now, this is where my glass tends to feel half empty. Um, I'm quite scared of these sort of games, simply because I just wouldn't be able to cope. If, if we if we drop any points against Dover, I'm I'm not coming out from behind the sofa for a month. So I feel more <laughs> I feel more scared. I felt quite optimistic about the Halifax game. This is the sort of game that makes me feel nervous. Please don't let something stupid happen. But um, well, surely it shouldn't, should it? I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. It- it should yeah, be a win, or you know, all the bottom four, uh, bottom five have been awful this season. Yeah. Uh, Dover gives a, uh, it went down to the wire, uh, the away game this season. Yeah. Uh, it was a Jordan Davis goal, I think, in the last minute. Uh, but I think we're a different side from then. Yeah, I think the Dover game should be a win, really. And anything less than that, then I think we are out of the title race. Uh, Definitely. Well, we've always had a title race of going to you, Che, haven't we? Yeah, but, but yeah, <laughs> uh, that's it now. Uh, on to Saturday, should be fun. Um, after this, we're going to tie up the, the end of the podcast. Hi, guys, I'm Dominic Bowes, and uh, this is Dragonheart. Well, 
maybe a little bit of a surprise signing, but we signed Lee Camp today, a very experienced veteran of a goalkeeper who's played in a plethora of big teams like Birmingham, uh, Sunderland, Not- Nottingham Forest. Uh, yeah, I think with Leighton being out, I think it's a very clever signing to get someone in as backup, I'd imagine, to cover in if anything did happen. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, the new camp. Um, <laughs> it was only a matter of time, wasn't it? And, I mean, he's very experienced. I mean, hell's bells, you know, Northern Ireland International. Was it two seasons ago he was regular in, in the championship? Uh, it's a smart move. I mean, we've done ever so well. As you say, it's the integrity of the competition is not good because we are hamstrung like this and can't buy players. So to, to scout and find a player who's available like this is brilliant. He was a Clitheroe for a couple of games as an emergency stand-in at a lower level. And that doesn't matter. That doesn't affect it, um, the deal. So we've done ever so well to find a creeper of his quality who's out of contract and eligible to sign for us. Surely he's being brought in as backup to Dibble. But obviously he's got a chance to impress now, a chance to show what he can do. It reminds me uh, the good old days, 92-93 season we went up. And because of injuries to goalkeepers, we brought in veteran, top-level, top-division Stoke goalkeeper, Peter Fox, who was a good goalie, but was getting on a bit. Never got on the pitch for us, but it was good to have him available just in case. Um, Camp, who knows? But he's got a chance to impress, but I assume Dibble's the man and Camp is, is his support for the moment. If yeah, a Dibble I- gets injured, maybe he can pitch his tent in goal and uh, stake a claim. <laughs> Oh my word! Uh, well, uh, I, I, I'm definitely gonna, I'm definitely gonna cut, cut Bill off there. Yeah, uh, is very intense. Uh, but yeah, but yeah. So it's, it's. I think it's a very clever signing. Uh, very exciting to, to be able to get a player of his caliber to sit on the bench or even play for us. So yeah. Exciting times. Unfortunately for the women's team, they didn't get the result they wanted last Sunday. But a fantastic start to their foundation as a club, isn't it, Mark? So, yeah, unlucky for the women's team, but I'm sure it'll work itself out next season. Well done to the under women's, uh, the under 19 women's side, though, who won the title. Yeah. And the youth team, the men's youth team, uh, keep going from strength to strength. So, you know, on, on every level, we seem to be thriving, don't we? It's fantastic. Yeah, so on and off the field, everything's bouncing at Wrexham AFC. So if you enjoy the game on Saturday, if you go in, if you're not going, um, you can watch You can watch us on Match Centre on, on the website. You can listen no, you can listen to us, I mean, on Match Centre on the website. Um, keep in tune with all the Wrexham AFC Twitter. You've got the AAA on YouTube. Uh, we've got everything. Uh, we've got the dragon, sha- uh, dragon hoe, uh, dragon, dragon, dragon heart. <laughs> oh my Draven. god, Draven Draven heart. Heart. Remember? Well, yeah. Uh, what a terrible ending to the show. <laughs> the, we got just like dragon heart season. show. <laughs> the, t- the TikTok. <laughs> we've got yeah. the we got the we got the dragon heart Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Yeah, this has been Dragon Heart. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> this is the final whistle podcast from the Rexham AFC media team.